Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm Malcolm White. I'm your host today. Hope you're enjoying your Sunday afternoon. Uh, I'm also the executive director of the Mississippi Arts Commission. Uh, in the studio today with Java Chapman, a substitute producer, my man on Deep South Dining, and uh, a great all-around dude. My special guest today is Patrick Sansone. Welcome, Patrick. How are you? Great to be here, man. I'm so happy to have you. Patrick is a uh, multi-instrumentalist, uh, plays with a number of bands that I'm sure you will recognize, uh, The Autumn Defense and also Wilco. Yeah. Yep. Uh, grew up in Meridian, Mississippi is a, an accomplished photographer. We, <laughs> well, that's, we, <laughs> I appreciate you saying that. But. <laughs> We're going to talk about music and growing up in Meridian uh, and uh, also your photography. Hopefully we'll have time for all of that. But you grew up uh, in Meridian in the late and turbulent late 1960s. Well, born in 1969. Oh, so, okay. So born, born, in, born in the last few months of, of the 60s. Um, you know, I, I I was alive when the when you know Apollo Eleven happened, and, right. and I was around for Woodstock, and uh, so I, I I'm I'm proud that I I did get to have a a bit of a a foot in the in the '60s um, because I have been so inspired by so much '60s music and mm-hmm. '60s culture and '60s thinking. Uh, but born in '69, and um, yeah, I grew up in Meridian. Uh, and really, you know, lived in Mississippi until um, until just a few years after I finished college at uh, University of Southern Mississippi. Well, I don't think you and I have ever talked about this, but I also was at Southern. Oh, uh, did- I arrived in 1974. Mm-hmm. Uh, poked around and left, went to New Orleans, came back, ended up graduating in 78. I moved to New Orleans after after my Hattiesburg uh, time, too. Well, so, there you yeah, go. we followed a similar <laughs> path. We did. And in Hattiesburg, uh, there were uh, a lot of musicians and quite a music scene. Uh, I know you played in bands in college, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Hattiesburg was a really active music uh scene when i was when i was there and this was in uh, uh i was i was there from 89 to 90 uh well graduated in 92 but then stuck around for a couple more years um lots of bands mm-hmm. it just i mean when i think back on it um you know, it was a very creative atmosphere there. You know, the the bands were supportive, but kind of always pushing each other and and you know encouraging each other. And uh, it was it was a real kind of like sort of bohemian, eccentric, uh, kind of odd music scene there. When I think back on it, it was like some some pretty some pretty weird you know weird stuff and and you know wonderfully weird. Yeah. Well, as I said, I was there a little earlier, so so sort of the the musicians of my era were uh, Omar and the Howlers, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. 
uh, a guy named Webb Wilder, who at the time was playing in a band called the the Drapes. I I know Webb. I I see him around Nashville. That's right. You're both in Nashville now. And I've told him about how um, I have a great memory of being at Southern and going to see the film Eraserhead. David Lynch's Eraserhead uh, was being played on campus, mm-hmm. which I was super interested to see because I had read about it, knew about it, had never seen it, and so they. Um, but to to for the introduction of Eraserhead before they played Eraserhead they played the Webb Wilder film Private Eye Webb Wilder Private <laughs> Eye and I just remember loving it so much and it really it was just cool it was exciting to see something that you know kind of wacky and 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 interesting and that that had come out of uh USM. Yeah, out of and, the film school there, right. I guess. Yeah. And then I ended up taking a couple of film courses there, really kind of inspired by seeing by seeing that film. And I think Webb, besides continuing to tour uh, as a working musician, I think he has a radio show that he broadcasts, I think, weekly in Nashville out of mm-hmm. the Country Music Hall of Fame, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's He's right. He's quite yeah. a knowledgeable music guy. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, for sure. Of course, his aunt was Lillian McMurray, who created Trumpet Records. From right here in Jackson on Ferry Street oh, uh, in the earliest of days. It was a blues uh, label. Uh, Lillian McMurray and her husband owned, uh, I think it was a uh, hardware store okay. down on Ferry Street. Okay. But in the back room, they made records. So cool. Uh, lots of great stuff came out of there. So Webb grew up, uh, much like you, around the music business. Right. And was always around musicians and shows. Right. And I know your father, Tony Sansone, who is a friend of mine, uh, is a longtime, well-known, beloved <laughs> promoter yep. in Meridian and really all over the state. Yeah. And so you grew up around that stuff. I did. I mean, I, you know, I, I didn't realize how unique that was until much, you know, much later. But growing up, I was exposed to so much entertainment through that i mean you know tony tony started booking shows in the mid 60s uh in meridian and i i believe the first show that he booked was buck owens wow in 66 when <sighs> when buck and the buckaroos were at the top of their game he booked them in meridian and um i think it was a real success because you know he, you know buck was like really happening at the time mm-hmm. and 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 it and he continued. I have a great picture of Tony uh, backstage. I don't think it's at the Temple. I think it might be at, uh, at Meridian High School, but uh, with um, Glenn Campbell. Wow. And so I, I think that was around 68. And that, in, you know, the, the success of those shows encouraged him to keep doing it. And he started a, a, a festival, an annual festival in Meridian. It would happen every April. Uh, on Thursday, Friday, Saturday night of... Every weekend in April, he would have acts at the Temple Theater, which is, I don't know if you've been oh, to the Temple. Oh, I know it yeah. well. So beautiful, beautiful old theater built in the 20s down in downtown Meridian. And, man, I got to, you know, I got to see people like Ray Charles and Roberta Flack and Tony Bennett and, mm. uh, you know, um, a lot of, you know, big country acts of the time. Uh, Gladys Knight and the Pips made a really big impression on me when I was about eight years old, like watching her hit the stage and just become this magical right. being <laughs> under the spotlight. So 
these experiences, you know, not hang out like at the theater all day. I'd, I'd go there with Tony and be there at the ticket office at 9 a.m. And then I'd be there when the lighting crew showed up. And then I'd be there when the band showed up and watch them set up and do their sound check. And I was there till sometimes till one in the morning, you know, when everything was getting swept up and it was time to go. So I just absorbed that. Um, and it was such an education. I mean, you know, it has everything to do with why I do what I do and the way that I do it and the things that I love about it. Um, and that came from, that came from him, you know, and, and, and he brought that to Meridian just out of his own pure love for entertainment. You know, he, that was a gift that he was giving to, to our town. He, he wanted there to be top-notch, world-class entertainment available to, to people living in Meridian. And that festival was called what? It was called the Lively Arts Festival. Right. Okay. And I think it, I might be wrong on the dates, but I'm, I, I'm, I think it was from, say, like 1970 to late 80s, I believe, mm-hmm. was when it kind of existed as an official festival. Well, I was booking Jubilee Jam here in Jackson. Right. Uh, pretty much during that time. And I remember Tony and I would talk about routing dates. Mm. He, he would say, I'm bringing in so-and-so. Are you interested in bringing them over for a show? That's so cool. Uh, you know, when we were talking promoter talk, presenter talk, right. know, back in the... I got in Jackson in 79, and by 81, 82, I was fully engaged in, in live music at George Street Grocery and at... Highland Village, there was a place called Oliver's where I started booking live acts. Mm-hmm. And um, But anyway, when did you actually take up an instrument? Were you uh, taking lessons or playing music along the way here? Really early. I mean, uh, you know, the other thing is, you know, other than just the fact that Tony was, was so into entertainment and, and being a promoter and bringing entertainment, my, my mother was a huge influence on me. Uh, she's a singer and just has a... A, such a special voice and and so I was hearing her sing in the house all the time she was in a group that would sometimes open for some of the acts at the Lively Arts Festival oh, okay so a little I, local band yeah, yeah yeah so I get got to see her on stage um, performing and and doing her thing and and you know she was really into and still is into a lot of jazz and um, um, you know the, the great jazz singers and 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 some r&b and soul music and so i kind of absorbed that from her um and my grandmother on really my grand both of my grandmothers were both musical so i you know me and my sisters just kind of absorbed all this through osmosis so i and i actually started playing an instrument around the age of five i think is when we first started taking you know, formal piano lessons, but there was always a piano around. We were always, yeah. you know, it was just always around, you know. So you started with piano and started with piano. Quickly picked up guitar. Or? Picked up guitar a couple of years later, maybe around age ten or eleven, um, which happened to coincide with um, my falling in love with the Beatles because mm. uh, John Lennon was killed. Um, December of 1980, and that was right about the time that I had gotten a guitar. And when that happened, um, you know, all of a sudden, Beatle music was everywhere. It was on TV and on the radio, and it just, it was like I had 
fallen into this world that's of, of hearing this music that seemed both completely new and exciting to me, but also like very familiar, like I had always known it, you know, right, right. it was a real, it was a real sort of door opening in my, in my consciousness. So unfortunately my piano lessons kind of went out the window <laughs> because all I wanted to do was like have my hands on that guitar and, you know, learn every Beatles song that I could. And, um, but then I came back to playing keyboards again a few, a few years later. Did you were you in bands in high school? You know, uh, the th I was. I didn't really find my creative partners though until I left high school. Um, just at that time in Meridian, there weren't musicians my age, mm -hmm. um, kind of interested in the music that I was interested in um, at that time. You know, like '60s music, and also kind of like the the emerging underground music scene. Uh, you know, you know, bands that were playing at WC Don's here sure. in Jackson. You know, kind of like that post REM, Southern jangle rock. Um, you know, that sort of Southern new wave thing mm -hmm. that was was very exciting to me as a as a young you know mississippi um you know music fan uh, i was really into that stuff but in meridian we didn't have a venue for that it wasn't something that was really happening there um i was just a very curious kid so you know me and a couple of my friends would bop over here to jackson to go to bebop and buy records and 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 look at the look at the wc don's newsletter and, right, right. Uh, but so I wasn't really until I left Meridian and got out of high school and went to Hattiesburg that I kind of really found my found my musical mates. So you you began to have bands to form bands in in the Hattiesburg college years. Yeah, yeah. I I um. There was a there was a band out of Laurel, Mississippi, at that time called uh, they were called Mexico Set, and they had put out a cassette. And it was wonderful, and I was a big fan of that cassette. And I ended up kind of somehow talking my way into that band. <laughs> and uh, I would drive from Meridian to Laurel or to Hattiesburg to like to rehearse with them. And I think we did maybe two shows with me and the band. But after after one or two shows, the the um, the singer decided to leave the the band, and myself and the rhythm section we started a new band and that was called Beagle Voyage and the uh, the bass player was a fellow named Eddie Bo McCraney the drummer is a fellow named uh, Wilbur Justin Martin who uh, runs the radio station now at WUS uh, oh, yeah, is, yeah. It, is it now called WMSU used to be called WUSM well it's still USM okay um it's the campus station. It's the campus. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah it's yeah. a yeah. great college station. Absolutely. I used to. I used to do a show there. Five. Exactly. <laughs> um, so he's he teaches at USM now, and is I know is working on his PhD, and uh, amazing guy and, and a dear friend. But that that was really my. I kind of consider that my first band. Mm -hmm. Now you would come to Jackson uh, and other places. I'm sure, uh, maybe New Orleans. Memphis, I don't know, to to find the music scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just you know, wherever we could find it. You know, and you've mentioned W. C. Don's. I don't know if you you knew Terry 
uh, Terry Butler, the yes. guy that owns oh, it. Oh, yes. Yeah. I remember Terry very, very yeah. well. Yeah. He's he's still around. He's quite a character. What a legend. He is. I mean, he is a le- I mean, I've had many um, discussions with John Stewart from Autumn <laughs> Defense and Wilco because he John, John was playing in, in the band um, The Hilltops. Yep. Carrie Hudson. Carrie and, and his sister, Laurie. Laurie. Mm-hmm. You know, many gigs at WC Don's. Also, uh, Will Kimbrough and I have talked a lot about Don's and Will and the Bushman. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, come on, they were they were heroes. They were. So yeah, WC Don's plays a big a big role in in the, in in my whole history. You know. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. Welcome back to the Arts Hour. Malcolm White here with Patrick Sansone. Welcome back, Patrick. Thanks. Great to be here, man. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the autumn defense and or defense. Mm-hmm. I guess not defense. That's a football term. It could be. It could be either <laughs> one. Yeah. But you and John, tell me the history of, of this organization, and it's still going on. It is. It is. Yeah. John and I. Um, John and I. You know, we met through the. Mississippi music scene in the in the early '90s um, ended up on you know some bills together, um, and I'm friends with his sister Laurie mm-hmm. um, through the um, those days, and uh, we um, both ended up living in New Orleans at the same time. I had when I left Hattiesburg around ninety ninety four, I moved to New Orleans, and John had moved back to New Orleans around that time or maybe a year later or so. And he and I just kept running into each other around town, really. We'd run into each other at shows and guitar shops and record stores. And um, just, you know, we're just palling around. And we realized that we had really similar tastes in music, that we were kind of listening to a lot of the same records at that time, getting really excited about about things like well, obviously, Big Star was was yeah. is a is a deep influence for for both of us. Um, and you know, John actually you know knew you know Alex a bit and had played played some music with him. Um, and that music is really you know important to me. But um, but also like a lot of like English music, like a lot of English pop music, things like the Zombies, uh, Scott Walker. And you worked with the Zombies at some point, right? Well, I, I toured. I, I toured with them for okay. a, a couple of weeks as their opening act, wow. which was a, a thrill, you know. Um, but, you know, we were really connecting over these records, the Kinks, you know, mm-hmm. Kinks Village Green Preservation Society, the Zombies Odyssey and Oracle, uh, things like David Crosby's early solo records and Love Forever Changes. This just this kind of sense of um, sort of Baroque pop, you know, English pop, California pop. Mm-hmm. And it was really exciting, I think, for both of us to meet somebody else who was into that stuff because at the time it wasn't that common. I mean, now these records are talked about a lot and are sort of in everybody's record collections and, you know, and Spotify playlists and, and everything. But at the time, especially in New Orleans, 
it wasn't that common. Um, so that was that was exciting for both of us. And uh, John had um, he had started writing some some songs that that were I think intended to be a. Um, uh, a project that he was doing with some other people, but he had he had some material hanging around that that wasn't quite finished, and that he needed somewhere to record. And I was working at a recording studio uh, in Uptown New Orleans, um, so I said, "Well, come you know come to our spot," and we we started recording those tracks. And we then we've just found that we had this great working relationship. Um, so the first album that we made, we made it in. Uh, we did half of the record in New Orleans, and half of the record in Nashville. Because sort of about halfway through the making of that first record, I I ended up moving to Nashville. This was around '99, um, and that's how the project was born. We made that that first record, um, and um, the next record we made was a couple of years later. And by that time, I had started. Uh, contributing to the songwriting, um, and yeah, we've made five full-length records at this point, and and uh, you know hope hope to keep it going. Do y'all have time to tour much as the Autumn Defense? No, I can't we imagine don't. that we, you would. We have we have done it. Um, you know, in the in the earlier in the earlier days of the band, we were making more of an effort to like mm -hmm. to get out. I mean, we did some pretty extensive touring for the for the especially for the second record, which is called Circles. That was around two thousand three, two thousand four. And for our third record, which is this, the self-titled album, The Autumn Defense, I mean, we did we we got in the van and went out there. I, I looked at the tour dates like last year for that for that two thousand seven tour, and it was like six weeks of touring. It was like wow. <laughs> so we were. We were um, we were serious about it, and uh, but but in the last few years, it's just it's gotten harder to set aside that time. Um, but we we love playing, you know, we love playing that music. We have a really good band, guys that now we've been playing with for the you know for over ten years. Um, Do you tour it as a four piece band? The, mostly the 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 most common um, lineup is a, is four piece. Um, sometimes we perform just as a duo. Which we enjoy doing a lot. Um, we've done it as a trio, just with our drummer. Um, so it's it's a flexible it's a flexible kind of thing. We we did a show this this past summer at Wilco's uh, festival where we uh, we were augmented by a string quartet, which was wonderful because mm -hmm. I've written some string arrangements for some of the records, but we we rarely get to perform uh, the, the songs with live strings. So that was really that was really um, a, a thrill for me. Now, did you learn to write music for a string arrangement, or did it something you taught yourself? I I do it in a I, it's something I taught myself, uh, and I but I and I do it in a very ham-fisted way, mm -hmm. uh, and that's one of the you know that's probably the biggest reason that I I, I wish that I had kept with formal music training was it would make my arrange arranging a lot a lot simpler. But I do a lot of my string arranging with uh, an instrument called the Mellotron, yeah. and it's it just the Mellotron has you know you have access to so many orchestral colors, and you know if you're doing you know and if you're just doing quartet or small um, you know string ensemble stuff, I can. I can I can play the parts that I want to hear on the Mellotron, hear how they're going to sound in, in combination with each other. And um, 
and I've been able to work with some great string players who can I can give them the individual parts and they transcribe for me. So when when did you join up with Wilco? Uh, that was in two thousand four. Mm-hmm. Uh, is when I joined Nels Klein, the the guitarist, and I joined at the same time. Okay. And that hap- that actually happened while the Autumn Defense was out on tour for our second album, Circles. Um, Jeff Tweedy um, came to our our Chicago performance. And uh, asked me after the show if I was interested in in playing with the band, and uh, so yeah, so that's it's it's been it's been 15 years now. And John was already in the band. Yeah, John is an original member. So right. so yeah, John John has been with with Jeff um, since the beginning of of Wilco. He was actually a member of uh, Uncle Tupelo um, around the time of the the. The last two, uh, sort of the last album. record, and yeah, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so so I, th- through John and I's con- um, collaboration in the Autumn Defense, that's what, that's what brought me into Wilco. I kind of just I was part of the extended family, and just kind of got pulled 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 to the, pulled to the table. My guest is Patrick Sansone, who is uh, a multi instrumentalist and uh, an artist of. Of great magnitude, and, uh, producer, arranger, singer-songwriter, photographer, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, when you play with Wilco, uh, can you sort of explain for our listeners all the instruments that you have before you on your palette, your portfolio? Uh, well, for, for the live show, I'm I'm I play both keys and and guitar. So I have a I have my keyboard station, which consists of I have a Wurlitzer electric piano mm-hmm. and I have a, a digital Mellotron have you Ray I'm, Charles Wurlitzer exactly exactly <laughs> I, I mean I, I, I love to play Wurlitzer it's yeah, like it's one of great. my favorite instruments and we sort of changed our our live show uh, about uh, about three years ago which I'm very happy about because we you know we kind of pared it down to a much smaller more intimate experience for us on stage uh, so we, you know, we have no drum riser. We don't have the big monstrous amps anymore. Our our stage volume is much uh, lower, and we we get together closer together on stage, and it's been great because, you know, I have a Wurlitzer electric piano. I have the digital Mellotron for my Mellotron stuff, and I have another keyboard that I use for some organ stuff, and that's mm-hmm. it. And I've sort of found a way to play the material just on those just with those three elements um, instead of feeling like I have to have you know a ton of a ton of keyboard mm-hmm. equipment up there uh, but then I also play guitar um, so I play electric guitar I'm kind of going back and forth between those keyboard instruments and my and my electric guitar stuff. What kind of guitar do you play? I'm a Telecaster guy yeah. mostly but I have you know a few other things up there I've got a I have a, a Gretsch Tennessean that I love and uh and uh, an SG special. I'm I'm a guitar nerd, so I mean we're you know if if you come see Wilco, you you see a lot of guitars. You know I mean there's a lot of guitars coming and going on that stage, but um, but you know I have a Glockenspiel and, and some tambourines and some shakers and you know I'm I just like to have a laboratory around. You're me. busy over there. Yeah. So if I <laughs> if I feel like something needs to happen, I can grab grab it and and make it happen. 
Two questions about the the instruments, and I will move on to something else. How many guitars do you own? Oh, <laughs> I love this question. Oof, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, I need. I actually need to need need to get a count. Is it more than twenty? Yes. Okay. It's, it's, it's it is more than twenty. Yeah. <laughs> but you know. But you know. I look, man. You know, there's there's all kinds there's all kinds of levels to this. You know. I mean. D- if if you go to the if you go to the Wilco Loft, which is you know the Wilco Loft has its own Instagram account, you know. Of course it does. I mean, you want to see guitars. I mean, that's 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 another level. Yeah. So, so well, there's I, a lot of guitar players in the band. So I you know I I, th- I think of it like I have a very small collection, but then actually no, I don't have a small collection. It's just it's it's all relative, you know. Uh, one more Wilco question. Uh, did you replace someone, or were you added to to do all these other things? It wasn't re- a replacement. It was just that um, sort of in the early 2000s, around 2001, 2002, uh, just Wilco was going through some changes. Uh, a member had left, a, a friend of mine, uh, Leroy Bach. He was... Uh, who actually played in the Autumn Defense on our first tour, oh. and and you know we were all kind of a part of a big, big musical family, but uh, but Leroy had left the band, and they performed as a four piece for a while, um, and after they made A Ghost Is Born, I think I think Jeff just wanted to expand the lineup. You know, it wasn't that anybody was getting replaced, but he wanted to take the he wanted to take it to a, a new place, um, so he. He invited Nels Klein to come in, who is just you know masterful guitar player, and just you know with with his background of of avant garde music and jazz and just his deep just his deep harmonic language. Um, and then you know he saw me working with John, and he kind of saw our connection and the way we sing together. I think you know because harmony is a big part of what the Autumn Defense does. He he really understood where we were coming from with our kind of more classic rock uh, mm-hmm. and sort of classic rock and pop sensibility and he and he and he brought both of these kind of two not opposing but just kind of like two different um, characters in into the band and um, and it's been great you know I mean we're we're this this version of the band has been around for you know 15 years and 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 we we really enjoy working with each other. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour. Malcolm White here with Patrick Sansone. Welcome back, Pat. Great to be here, man. Man, I'm so glad you came by to see us. Um, before we took a break, we were talking a little bit about uh, your musical upbringing. I wanted to touch base a little bit on a story I heard um on a podcast uh from Mr. Pug what's his name Joe Pug Joe yeah. Pug yeah. interesting podcast what I don't remember the name of it but anyway Yeah I think it's called the Working Songwriter The Working Songwriter yeah. but in there you told a great story about your grandmother 
Marguerite, uh, or Sonny Stevens, as, <laughs> as it were, and her performing at the Temple Theater, mm-hmm. and uh, how you got to, and many years later, be there while your father, Tony, was producing shows, which would be the second generation, and mm-hmm. then the third generation is when Wilco played there, mm-hmm. and that was in 2000... That was in 2007, I believe, or, or 2000... 2005 or 7, so somewhere in that zone. Yeah. Somewhere in there. But I was there oh. um, for that show because, of course, I had to get my tickets from Tony. Right. And, you know, had to do the whole self-addressed Did envelope thing. Did you send thing. a st- self-addressed yeah. well, envelope? Well, I, I went with um, uh, Mel Evans, uh, John Evans' wife from uh, Lemuria. Mel grew up in Meridian. And she and I went together, and she had gotten the tickets, uh, the self-addressed I envelope. I love that. But anyway... So I got to hear your little introduction to your father uh, at, right there at the end of the show before the last set. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that whole connection. Yeah, well, I mean, that was, I mean, as as far as like bringing him out on stage that night, it was really important to me to do that because growing up around all those shows and in that theater, which was so important to me, I mean, like I was saying before, it's really where I absorbed and and witnessed the magic of performing in the stage and all this incredible musicianship coming through there. Um, I don't have any photographic record of it. Like, I don't have a picture of me with Ray Charles or with, you know, with Gladys Knight or Roberta Flack or... um, There is a picture of my dad with Tony Bennett at the tennis court because Tony Bennett supposedly wanted to play tennis and Tony was a big tennis guy, so there is a picture of them with with tennis rackets somewhere. But <laughs> but a lot of that was because Tony Tony just I think really loved being behind the scenes, and he didn't want to make a big deal about him being the you know the 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 person that that made this happen. The festival would hire you know well, not hire but the, would would appoint someone to be like the face of the festival that year that right. would, would do the interviews for the local TV. And, uh, but this was Tony's thing, yeah. you know, and he, he was on the phone booking the acts. He was there all day. I mean, he was micromanaging this from top to bottom. So when we played that show at the temple, because of the fact that the way it was structured, everyone in that audience had interacted with him in some way to get their ticket. <laughs> I wanted to bring him out on stage to take right. a bow, you know, to, to, you know, to, 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 to feel the, feel know, the love, feel that love, you know? So that was a really great moment for me to, to have, to see him on stage, like taking his bow, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, like I was saying, like I saw my mom perform on that stage when I was a kid and, you know, in addition to all these, you know, these uh, these legends there's my mom up there singing and and I never saw my grandmother on that stage but I I know that she did perform on that stage yeah. um so it was just it, it, it's an it's a kind of a sacred place to me like you know there's there's it's it's definitely a part of who I am and your grandmother performed uh, at the Blue Room at the Roosevelt Hotel she, in New Orleans she, back in the day. She did. <laughs> I, I wish I knew more about that, but I do know that she she would perform down there. I think maybe she had a regular gig there at some point, and and I think you know there was a radio show that was broadcast. It was from, live from the Blue Room. Yeah, I used to hear it as a kid. Well, she was she was she was on that, and it was uh, WNOE. And Wilco played across the street at the Orpheum. Oh, okay. Uh, and it was the it was the first night that the Orpheum 
reopened after, after Katrina. Katrina. Right. So Wilco right. did the did the did the, the the opening show. Tony came down for that show, and we were having lunch at the at the Roosevelt across the street, and we realized, oh wait, this is where the Blue Room is. He had wow. never been there. Incredible. And his mom performed there. Yeah, yeah. We had never been there. So we finished lunch and we walked down the hall and we, we went in the blue room and we sat on that stage and, <sighs> and had our picture taken. It was it was a great moment. That's terrific. Did you ever know Chris Etheridge growing up? I in did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. I loved Chris and uh and you know, he, he, Chris, Chris's father and Tony were were really close. I think his I think Chris's father was a little older than Tony, but but somehow I don't know if they worked together. But you know, it's Meridian. They had they had some kind of connection. Mm-hmm. And I know that 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 Chris Etheridge felt had a lot of fondness for Tony. Yes, and um, and I got to know Chris really mostly through Chris's daughter who had moved to Meridian when I was in high school, and she and I are the same age. And she kind of appeared in our high school, um, you know, all of a sudden I'm sitting in art class next to this girl who knows more about 60s rock than I do. She's like, she's actually met some of these people, you know. She's talking yeah. about the Grateful Dead and yeah, Led I mean, Zeppelin. Chris and, was playing with the Flying Burrito Brothers. Exactly. And the International Submarine Band and right. on and on and on. The right. Birds and yes. everybody else. And this yeah. was this was the music that I was like getting so turned on by mm-hmm. and like, you know, so to 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 all of a sudden know that I had a actual personal connection to somebody who had gone and become part of that world was amazing for me. All right, let's talk about your photography. You published uh, a book called 100 Polaroids. I believe it was in 2010. 2010, yeah. Yeah, and working with a SX-70 Polaroid camera and another instrument? Yeah. The, the, well, I, I, I found a, an SX-70 camera on eBay. Um, it was kind of, kind of bought it on a whim, really. I was really kind of digging. I was start, starting to think about making Super 8 films again, like mm-hmm. I had done like at, at USM. USM. Yeah. And uh, Kodachrome was kind of in its last days. So I was thinking, oh, this would be really fun to like to shoot some Kodachrome Super 8 before it's gone. I didn't really get the chance to do that because I got distracted by <laughs> buying an SX-70 camera that I saw on, on eBay that had been modified to where you could use the camera to to shoot with the Polaroid film that was available at the time. Just the 600 film, mm-hmm. Polaroid 600 film that you could go into a a Walgreens or a CVS and buy packs and, yeah. you know, and uh, it wasn't that rare or big big deal. But um, I got the camera. I went and got two packs of film from Walgreens. This is while I was living in Chicago. I shot the first pack of film and the camera did not, leave my side for about six years. I just, from that moment, I was obsessed. I just loved what I was seeing. And I just, I just fell in love with this little machine. And, um, so that, yeah, that went on for several years, sort of in the middle of that time, unfortunately, Polaroid discontinued the, the manufacturing of that film which was a real bummer for me because mm. I was just getting into the, you know, I was just in the euphoria of this, right. you know, finding this new creative outlet for me. And I didn't really, you know, I, I knew some about photography. I had always kind of dabbled. I kind of liked to have toy cameras around and, and 
you know, it's something that I dug. And, and Tony had a beautiful uh, Roloflex medium format camera when we were kids that he would shoot with. So it just I liked cameras. But I didn't have aspirations to be a photographer. But just something about connecting with this particular camera, it just set me on a journey. And I took so many Polaroids. I mean, I'm, I've actually been archiving them this past couple of weeks, um, going back to it to just kind of like actually look at what I have. But um, it was just a real, it was a real love affair mm-hmm. with this, with this machine. So in um, Wilco does a festival at the Massachusetts Museum of Contemporary Art. Um, we do a music festival there. And what's there. that called? The Mass Mocha Festival. Uh, it's the Solid Sound Festival. Solid Sound, Solid Sound right. is the name of the festival. And it's just at this amazing contemporary art uh, museum up there. And the first year that we had our music festival, uh, the members of the band were encouraged to also showcase some of their other creative projects, you know, some mm-hmm. visual art or something else that they're doing. So I decided to um, choose a hundred of my, you know, choose a hundred images from, from all these Polaroids I'd been taken and, and, and have an exhibition. And to as a memento for that exhibition, I decided to do this book. Kind of like a catalog. Yeah. yeah. And at first I was just going to do like a little brochure kind mm-hmm. of thing. But the more I got into it and the more I started curating the images and putting it together, I just decided, man, I'm just going to do a book because I love, I, I love art books. Um, so that's how the book came about. And you did a very limited edition, right? I did 500 copies. And it's long since sold it's out. It's gone. It's um, impossible to find. I've looked. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm looking into doing another print now. So, so at some point in 2020, the, it'll be available again. So it would be a reprinting of the 100 Polaroids? Yes. And then I might, you know, I might also do another another book as well. I'm, I'm kind of going, going back through all my images to see you know, if there's another book in there. I think there might be. I'm sure that there is. <laughs> so what other projects are you working on? What's what's on your plate? What's right up front there besides Wilco shows and Autumn Defense and the Book of Photography? Well, uh, n- right now I'm just kind of, I'm looking at this next year. There's there's going to be a lot of Wilco touring again this year. I did spend a lot of time the, pa- this, the past couple of years um, doing a lot of producing because uh, Wilco took a pretty significant break. And that gave me a chance to put my producer hat on and, and work with some great artists. Uh, and um, so, yeah, I, 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 this, you know, I worked with a woman named Linda Perhax, uh, co-produced um, her last record. That was a very fun project to, to do. Um, worked with a band called Sunseeker out of out of Nashville. Um, worked with a fellow named Trapper Shep out of um, Milwaukee. Uh, and a few other things. So i I don't have any um, uh, I don't have any big produ- production projects on the books right now. But there's a few things and there's a few things in the works. So yeah, I mean, I just I like to stay I like to stay busy, um, you know, and kind of juggling you know juggling photography and production and and then you know and then my 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 touring obligations, you know, the calendar can get full pretty fast. 
Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> is the priority? It's like Wilco first. I mean, how do you how do you prioritize all this stuff? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, Wilco is Wilco is definitely kind of sets the sets the shape of the calendar, mm-hmm. and imagine. then and then and then you see what's left over, and then you you know you 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 see what makes sense to to put in those to put in those empty spaces. Uh, what few de- that there are. <laughs> yeah, Autumn Defense is going to do a few things. We're gonna we're gonna go out to uh, the West. Coast uh, in May and do a few shows. I'm looking forward to that. Um, so yeah, just kind of, just kind of letting it unfold. And you hang your head in Nashville. Is this a long? Been there for a while, or is this kind of new? I moved there. Uh, I've been there almost, but well, four and a half years now. Okay. It's my second time. That's to what live I was there. wondering yeah. if you had, you were circling I left, back. I left New Orleans in in 2000 uh, and uh, moved to. Um, well, in '99, I moved to Nashville. I only stayed for about a year um, on that that time, but I made a lot of really deep friendships there. You know, you know, great. You know, made some great music, made musical connections that I still have. You know, people like Will Kimbrough and Mike Grimes, who mm-hmm. you know is you know has Grimey's records and the Basement and the Basement East and. And uh, the Joe Pasapia, who has, you know, um, who's a great musician there. And so, uh, the, and the bass player f- who plays in the Autumn Defense now is someone that I know from that, that first time living there. So I really kind of, you know, kind of put some, some musical roots there back then. And after living in Chicago for 10 years, I was feeling, as much as I love Chicago, which yeah, I really do, um, I felt the call back you know mm-hmm. i kind of felt like yeah i think nashville is I, I need to get back there and and kind of re, re reconnect with that 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 sensibility do you see steve forward there i don't i don't think he he, he doesn't i don't think He's he lives there, in nashville no? anymore i know he did i ran into him on the street once <laughs> uh, a long time ago yeah um and we had a great chat. You know, Steve grew up in Meridian and, and and just a few blocks away from where I grew up. And I know that Tony used to, like, let him come backstage, like, for shows and, and you know, when he was a kid. And yeah. from what I understand, he would, like, let Steve come back there and play his songs for, for, for people that were, you know, coming through. And so, yeah, I, I you know, Steve, definitely a, a hometown hero and inspiration. But it always comes back to Tony. In some way, and in some way it does. <laughs> <laughs> Tony Sansom. Well, Patrick, thanks so much for stopping by. I appreciate it. Good luck on all of the above. Thank you, man. This has been a pleasure. And uh, we will talk to you next Sunday right here on the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm Malcolm White. Enjoy your Sunday and see you next week. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart devices podcasting platform.